0: Hey! You're listening to Funny and Handsome Guys, brought to you by Centers of Attention Studios. Why don't you send us some feedback? Call us at 847-893-0344 and leave us a voicemail, or Twitter us at FHGpodcast. Best responses may or may not be made fun of on the air, so, fair warning. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Funny and Handsome Guys. My name is Chris, Uh, with me, as always, are Kevin and Reggie. Say hi. Hey, I'm Kevin. Hello. Yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) Today we have a pretty good show planned for you. Included in that, uh, we're going to be talking about the new quote-unquote supergroup, Divine Fits, uh, featuring members of Spoon and Handsome Furs, and Wolf Parade. Uh, We'll be reviewing their debut album. We'll also be doing another preview review where we review a movie based solely on a trailer. We're going to be talking about Cloud Atlas. And also we will have a top five list, as always. This week's top five is sort of a reverse of our last show. Uh, Our last show, we were doing top dream teams and and what wound up happening was Reggie and I thought that it was top team-ups that have already happened that we think were great, you know, team-ups and Kevin thought it was duos or team-ups that should happen or that he'd like to see happen. Well, because we sort of misunderstood, miscommunicated that, we're doing the reverse today. And so what it's going to be Reggie and I are talking about our ideal dream team-ups. Kevin's talking about team-ups that have already happened that he felt were really great. So, uh, that said, let's, uh, uh, sh- should we uh, explain Jump right our- into it? Eh? Eh? Uh, well, sh- should we explain our absence? We were gone for a week.
0: We were. We just, we're busy people, you know. It's it's one of those things where this past week we just weren't able to get together, Unfortunately. No, that's not going to be something that's going to happen every week. Obviously, um, I know Chris, you've got uh, a trip planned here coming up, so Reggie and I will probably be recording an episode or two without you. I'm going to see if I can get a uh, special co-host for those two nights. Um, if if it turns out to be two nights, I, I don't even know. Like you, you're only going to be gone for like a week, so
1: yeah, it'll probably
0: only be one show. Yeah, but in any case, um, not something that we we normally will be doing by any means. Yes, and if you missed us last
1: week, hopefully this week makes up for it.
0: Of course it will, because we're coming back
1: better than ever! (laughs) Okay, Uh, let's start with our first uh, segment, which we'll be talking about Divine Fits, their debut album called A Thing Called Divine Fits. Uh, let's listen to a song off of it to start Flagging a red
2: flagging a red flagging a red
1: <laughs> Reggie says flagging a riot so let's do flagging a I, ride It's knew. divine fits I
0: know you see me
1: just like That was the song Flag and a Ride by Divine Fitz. Uh just a little background. I, I already kind of explained it in in basic form, but uh this is the project of Britt Daniel, the lead singer of Spoon, and also Dan Beckner, who has been in the bands Handsome Furs and Wolf Braid, both of which are no longer in existence. Uh he actually ended handsome furs a couple months back rumor word on the street is he was uh in that band with his wife and they may or may not have had some issues in that she may have been showing her handsome fur to somebody else so uh he's without a band but now he's at divine fits and also uh the band new bomb turks is uh Their drummer is Sam Brown, and he is the drummer for Divine Fits. So it's those three guys and one other guy who plays since, and I forget what his name is at the moment. Uh, But they're sort of – it's an interesting collaboration between all those guys. They insist it's not like a side project or they don't even like using the word supergroup. So they're just a band. Uh, And what did you think of this band's debut? Let's start with you, Kevin.
0: Uh, well, for, for for me, I actually queued up the uh the, the streaming, uh online streaming for it, and I had not I, I didn't have any background on who these people were. Um or who this was. I just figured, oh, Divine Fits, new group coming out. Um I wasn't familiar with them before this, so I was like, oh it'll be something new. And I'm listening, I'm like, huh. Kinda sounds like Spoon meets I don't know like Wolf Parade or Handsome Furs or something. I don't, I don't know. And and that's what it is. That's that and it's it's funny because like I had no idea um but but I mean you really get what what you would expect out of that. And it's not necessarily a, to to write it off. It's not trying to damn it with faint praise to sound that to say that it it sounds like you know spoon meets handsome furs um i really liked it it's it's a really like poppy electronica uh, um influenced uh, uh album i'm hoping that there's more from this i mean this is this is a a fun end of summer album that uh i don't know i like there's there's just some really fantastic uh moments here i'm gonna I'm gonna point to uh the Salton Sea as an example of of one of my favorites because one thing that I really love from this album is that a lot of these songs like they're not long songs there's nothing here that's over five minutes and most everything is below four minutes but it feels really like they're they're letting a lot of these songs sort of breathe and and you get a lot of like riffs and that they just sort of like allow themselves to be, and it, they they go on for just the right amount of time, and it's not going to drag on at any point.
1: Yeah, I I feel like uh, you know that that's pretty well right on. Uh, Re, Reggie, do you have some thoughts on it?
2: Um, I just like Kevin. I had no clue. I didn't even, like, I've heard of Spoon, but I'm not familiar with their music whatsoever. So I really didn't have any idea um, what to look forward to. Um, but I agree that it is very Electronica-inspired. Like, it it almost seems like it was, uh... They did their best to, like, replicate an electronic sound with actual instruments. I know there's, like, a... Like a uh, you did say there was a synth flare and like, that's, that's evident. But like, even, even in the aspect of the drums, even though drums probably are the most mechanical instrument in any band, like it sounded like super just, just precise and exact, you know? And, um, in a way that's good, in a way it's bad, you know, because it, it, I mean, it helps make them sound unique, but at the same time, like, uh, it, it just makes them seem less human.
0: I I worry because like this is the so-called supergroup you 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 worry that it's going to be you know a full on side project it's not going to ever evolve into something with its own real identity and that's not to say that that you don't see like the start of that here but like I said you know when I, when I started talking about it is that you really see that spoon and and that that influence of these these guys coming together and, and doing something together. Um, and I really hope that they develop something that, that just sort of pushes the limits of what they're able to do, because this, this sounds like exactly what you would expect. And that's not bad because what you would expect from these groups are fantastic. And I was actually upset that the handsome furs, uh, broke up, um, when they did, I, i hadn't, uh, expected that like so suddenly and um i had a chance to go see them here a few couple years back in chicago and i wasn't able to and i i'd always meant to go back to see them because i, I was just always really catch and i enjoyed checking them out and so i'm i'm kind of disappointed that they won't be around but i'm hoping that uh divine fits will be stopping by and i know that they were going to come to chicago here soon i'm not sure if that's already happened or not
1: uh, they, they played a show at Shuba's after Lollapalooza. That's right. Yeah. One, one of the nights after Lollapalooza. So that was like, you know, a 200-person venue. Right. And that was kind of big, so tickets sold out for that right away. And they when they actually announced it, I wanted to get tickets, but I missed the announcement, and the tickets went on sale pretty much right after. So they were sold out before I could try and get tickets to that. But... You know, I I do, you know, like you, Kevin. I had the urge to see Handsome Furs perform live. I'd heard great things about their live show. Yeah, and uh, I'm upset that I'm not going to be able to see that now. But divine fit.
0: Yeah, yes. I mean, I'm I'm just saying that it, that you're going to get to see them. I mean, Dan Bachner is. I mean, he's here. He's he's still working. It's not like he's going to stop. And and it's pretty. It, it just seems to me very logical that he would end up working with uh Brit Daniels of Spoon. Um they always seem to me to be just a, a very likable group to to get along with, and I'm surprised we haven't seen more uh collaborations with him, though I know Daniels is, is a pretty busy guy right now, so
1: well, you know, he's Brit Britt Daniel has Spoon and then he's produced a bunch of records for a bunch of bands that he really likes. But he's never really had a project outside of Spoon before. He's doing so,
0: Isn't he doing a uh solo album here? Not that I've heard of. I swear I just heard that that he was he, doing a not a solo but um he has joined a third project. That's that's what I was thinking and I I they were saying that it it really is just a a big um vehicle for his his stuff and it's really
1: Well, the thing about it is, I think in that third project, uh, which they're calling themselves Split Single, um, I think in that third project, he is playing bass and he's not doing vocals. Okay. So I don't know how much involvement he really has in that band. I mean, if he's just playing bass on a record, then that's one thing. Uh, But if... You know, I also heard him say... You know, we're doing it old-school Elvis-style, just a bunch of guys in a room with one microphone. So I don't know if that means they're doing vocals together or what. Who knows? But, yeah, he's just now become, like, busy, busy. Like, starting Divine Fits and starting Split Single outside of Spoon. So, like, in the last few months alone, that's just... How it's emerged yeah. Uh, but I, other than that he's been producing records And, and doing Spoon So yeah. you know this is kind of his First official step Away from that world A little bit And you know I do think that it sounds His tracks especially sound a lot Like Spoon But you know and a Ride is one of them uh, Would that not be nice Is another that I think both really Echo that Spoon sound but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if if he is stepping outside of his comfort zone a little bit, as you mentioned, Kevin, the Sultan Sea is a good spot where he kind of does that where, where the synths shimmer a bit and uh go off on the these more interesting instrumental tangent type things. Uh I also think that the last track, Neapolitans, is very different um than than a lot of the rest of the record. And it's pretty anti-commercial, uh, that song. The rest of the record is pretty good in terms of being commercially viable. But I, I also think that, you know, Dent Beckner is really stepping up to the plate here. I think he is working probably because he has nothing else to do. I don't know. Uh, but he is working at, at a level that's, you know... As good as it was with Handsome Furs, if not better. And I think a song like Civilian Stripes, where he's paired with just a a pretty acoustic guitar and and just a tiny slice of piano, the emotion that comes through in his voice, I think, is is excellent. I think it it really adds to the mood of the song and, and creates a nice ballad that you wouldn't necessarily hear from him otherwise. So... In that sense, he's done a ni- he's done some nice work in this. You know, Britt Daniel does some great work as well. So it- it's a good start for Divine Fits, I think. And I'm interested to see uh, where they're going to take it next. Hopefully, in a little more experimental direction. I'd like to see that.
0: Agreed. Me too, Reggie.
2: Um, I, I don't. It, it's it's kind of a.
1: No, this in- is.
0: This is is I'm going to point out um why I like this group that that we've got here because Reggie, you you don't have experience with Spoon or Handsome Furs. I'm it, it doesn't sound like from what what you're saying. I
2: definitely don't.
0: <laughs> but but that's great because you're coming to this as sort of an outsider um listening to something that that is not what you would typically hear and you get to have sort of a fresh take on it. So
2: Well, I know. Um, regardless, um, things tend to change. I mean, look at uh like no doubt was very uh, ska inspired um, force, uh, especially for like Tragic Kingdom, which which is probably their, you know biggest most successful album. And then now they're they're very much you know they've they found way. this like pocket in like reggae almost like yeah. reggae pop. And I'm 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 in no way trying to compare you know, divine fits to no doubt, but I kind of feel like things have like a natural order, you know, and, and you never know what they're going to end up sounding like. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that, you know?
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Should, should definitely be interesting to see how it progresses. Uh, Okay. So that does it for uh, our album review this week. Let's talk a little bit and do a preview review an advanced look at cloud Atlas.
2: This is the Cloud
0: Atlas sextet? I doubt there's more than a handful of copies in all of North America. But I know it. I know, I know it. That's it. The music from my dream. There are whole movements I wrote imagining us meeting again and again in different
1: lives, in different ages. I can't explain it but i knew
0: when i opened that door a powerful deja vu ran through my bones
2: i heard it in a dream as in a nightmarish cafe and the waitresses they all had the same face no reason to hide i know you are Sonmi 451 life was headed in one direction today it is headed in another you ever think the universe is against you fear (laughs) belief love phenomena that determine the course of our lives these forces begin long before we are born and continue after we perish
1: So that was the trailer for Cloud Atlas. And uh, we're now going to talk about our thoughts about that trailer and, and the prospects for how good this movie might actually be. Uh, Reggie, you want to give your thoughts first? Um, first of all,
2: I have to say that I really trust the Wachowskis, um, even after Speed Racer. Um, uh, I really, this movie looks spectacular. Um, I I don't really have the foggiest clue what's going on. I mean, I have a, an idea, but like we because uh, we watched the the six minute long one, and I, I felt like every time I had a grasp on what was going on, like I saw something, and it's like no, okay, so maybe I don't really quite understand. And that happened like the the trailer's so long that happened like two or three times. <laughs> um, but I really like the idea of. Uh, I mean, they throw in a lot of concepts. There's, you know, fate. Um, I mean, that's that's a big one that that we're, there's certain people we're destined to meet, and certain feelings we're destined to have, and and certain things we're destined to see, whether we understand them or not. And I think that that's like a good life lesson. I think I think there are a lot of uh, even in the Matrix. The Matrix had a, a lot of good life lessons. It was just kind of bogged down by you know crazy special effects and and um arguable metaphors um but I I'm, I'm really looking forward to it I mean I think Tom Hanks is of course one of my favorite actors fantastic actor you've got Halle Berry Jim Broadbent um
0: uh Ben Wishaw. like a ridiculous <laughs> Susan Sarandon Jim Sturgis Hugh Grant
2: probably like eight more people that we just can't think of at the moment Broadway. you know Broadway. like this movie is going to be jam-packed with talent. It's made by the Wachowskis, um, who, you know, for some people that's an eye roll for me, I'm, I'm really excited about it. So I think, I think it's, uh, and it's going to be out in what, like October?
1: Um, October 26th.
2: So it's not even that far away. And I, I'm, I'm really excited for it.
0: Yeah, this is, this is, uh, going to be a very interesting, uh, film um i mean it's the first film from from uh Andy and now Lana Wachowski um since oh god uh ninja assassin they produced before that they directed speed racer way back way back in 2008 and as everybody knows speed racer was a flop um people saw it and were like the fuck is this and it, it it just it sort of became a punchline at the time and it's it's unfortunate because the movie is such a great representation of of the cartoon like it's it's zany it's cartoony it's over the top it's melodramatic it's colored like a candy store i mean it's it's a ridiculous movie and then you've got tom Tickler from Run Lola Run, uh, perfume story of a murderer. Uh, he, he's done uh, the Princess and the Warrior, uh, the International. He did just not too long ago. Um, well, I guess I, I, a few years ago. Um, but like you've got a couple of uh, a, a collaboration here that's that's really fantastic. Um, and, and then everybody who's in it as well. And I, I have to say, like, the fact that Tom Hanks is in this is really interesting. I feel like this is probably the bravest role he's taken on in years. Um, like Since
1: Philadelphia?
0: Uh, no, since Lady Killers. Lady Killers was not a good movie. Joe vs. the Volcano. And I'm not even being facetious about that. Really, no, um, I love Joe versus the volcano. It's a classic, um no, but for real, like like I feel like Tom Hanks has sort of been playing it real safe, um, in any roles that he's taken, I mean he did that that one here not too long ago, um featuring uh uh Julia Roberts, what was that? I can't even remember the name, it was so forgettable, um yeah,
1: Larry Crown,
0: Larry Crown, yeah, and then. I, he's been in random, like, I don't know, like, safe things, extremely loud and incredibly close. Uh, Toy Story 3, like, I mean, yeah, that's that's a great movie. I've never heard of that movie before. Is that, like, I mean, apparently it's a sequel, but it is that I mean, a, a, a good one? It's a great movie, but... No, no, it's a great movie, um... Was 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 fairly successful, um, but like the, the the guy just has not really been stretching his his limbs too much, and that's unfortunate because he started out in in some really fantastic, uh, uh, you know, brave roles. Like, and and you don't you don't think of some of his roles in like. Splash is as, as Brave, but you, you look at something like, um, okay, so so he, he's done stuff like, like Bosom Buddies, which is sort of a, a a joke at this point, but he's also done things like Joe vs. the Volcano, he's done Forrest Gump, he did Green Mile, he did Toy Story, which, I mean, you may not realize it at this point, because it's such a huge success now, but playing the voice in the first computer animated movie after I I can't even think of what, what its closest analog would be, maybe reboot, you know, that, that was what we were experiencing for, for computer animation at the time. And, uh, so, so the guy, the guy has done brave things, but he hasn't in a long time. And cloud Atlas looks to be something very brave. And it, I, I'm not sure if I'm the only one who got this, but it looks like the Chowski's and Tom tickfer's the Fountain. Um and I'm referring to the uh um Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky movie from a few years back starring Hugh Jackman and um uh Rachel Weisz, Um which was was definitely an underperformer at the box office but i love that movie i think that it's really brave it tries to do a lot it's very ambitious it sometimes falls into um you know a meandering unfocused narrative but it's it's not necessarily um to the major detriment of the movie it doesn't ever lose me as a viewer um, and this is is something that is even bigger in scope. It looks like, and so I'm I'm excited about it. I've spoken way too long about this. I apologize.
1: Well, you know, Kevin, you bringing up the fountain. Actually, I was going to mention the fountain uh, when when I got my turn to talk about it, which is now, I guess. Uh, yes, the fountain. I do think it is a great comparison to Cloud Atlas. And you know, Kevin. Well, you seem to feel like The Fountain had some, you know, was a great film, but had a couple issues. I felt it was my favorite film of 2006, and my favorite Aronofsky film. Period. Which is, you know,
0: that's that's I, saying a lot because Aronofsky is is definitely a genius. Um, I don't put that that modifier to too many directors' names. But yeah, I, I I would agree with you there. Like, The Fountain is a fantastic movie and probably his best.
1: Yes, and definitely underseen and underperforming. And I think a lot of people didn't understand it, which gets me concerned about Cloud Atlas. I'm concerned that it's going to be difficult for audiences to grasp. I'm concerned it's going to be difficult to understand that there may be so many layers that being able to pick up on all those various things, even with multiple viewings, is going to make it difficult for this film to be a success. Uh, You know, I also think in some respects, while I I saw the comparisons to The Fountain, I also seem to feel like there were some weird connections with Richard Kelly's Southland Tales. Uh, Have either of you seen that movie?
0: Yes. No, I haven't. Oh, man, okay. Reggie, you're you're missing out.
1: Uh, no, no, you are not, Reggie.
0: You're not missing out. You're missing out uh, on a, a festival of crap.
1: Yes. And Southland Tales was one of those films where Richard Kelly, who directed it, was so intensely revered by so many people because of Donnie Darko. And this was the first film that he had directed after Donnie Darko, And people were really excited to see what he would come up with. It had a weird cast that that included The Rock and Justin Timberlake and John Lovitz and a a bunch of other random people. Sean William Scott. But uh, the point being, the first cuts of Southland Tales were reported to be like three hours long. And they were shown at film festivals and people hated the film. And so the studio ordered him to cut it down and cut it down and cut it down until it became something like an hour 45. So like half the film was cut and this was supposed to make it more manageable and more understandable, but it just, the entire thing was just a huge, huge mess. It turned into a huge mess and kind of an embarrassment for him. And I think that, the Wachowskis, very revered directors. You know, they they have the Matrix behind them. Speed Racer, not so much. But the Matrix, at the very least, uh, and, and the trilogy did pretty well for them. And there's a lot of anticipation about whatever they do. And while Speed Racer wa- was something that was a little shaky for a lot of people, I think that Cloud Atlas might be even shakier. I'm concerned about this movie, uh based on what I've seen. And granted you've got a cast that includes Tom Hanks and Hugo Weaving and Halle Berry, Hugh Grant, you know, Jim Broadbent. A lot of great actors are involved in this film, and I don't necessarily know that any of them have been doing their greatest work lately, as has been mentioned. You know Tom Hanks doing some safe films, uh, Halle Berry doing some really Catwoman. bad bad films. Yes, Catwoman among them. Hugo Weaving is just kind of boss in anything he's in. So, but even still, he was he was in a couple so so films. Hugh Grant, I don't, I can't even really remember the last movie I saw him in. It's been a few years. That, that being said, uh, while the cast has been known for quality in the past, most recently not so much. So that only adds to my worries. Needless to say, a- and from from the five or six minute preview that I, featurette that I saw, I f- I'm concerned about this film. And I don't think it's going to be this incredible... Adventure, this incredible movie that everyone's hoping it's going to be. I'd like for it to be that, but I don't think it's gonna it's gonna hit those marks. I just can't see it. Maybe getting some some technical nominations uh, for some things for award season, but I don't see it doing much more than that. All right.
2: I, don't, all I mean, right. I don't necessarily agree with you, but all right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Any of you guys have anything else to say about it?
2: Looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been saying it this whole time. I still I'm still really excited for it, I think. Um, you know, maybe maybe it might fall the way of the Speed Racer, but um, I still enjoyed Speed Racer, so I'm I'm still looking forward to it.
0: I I think that it's going to be a successful film as as far as creatively goes, like I, I think that you've got a solid backing behind it. And it's going to be something, and, and maybe maybe the best approximation of, of it will be 2001 A Space Odyssey, because you're looking at a movie that is trying to tell a story over, it looks like thousands of years. And that, that happens occasionally, and it's not been done very successfully very often. I think the most successful instance of it is really 2001 A Space Odyssey. And really... There's only a moment where it's like millions of years before, and then everything else is in a a single era. So
1: you you could say the same thing about the Tree of Life, though. I guess you were going with success, and Tree of Life wasn't that big success.
0: I I guess uh, Tree of Life is. You're you're correct. The Tree of Life would be right up there, and 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 me being a a huge uh, apostle, you know, apostolizer of a. uh, of a tree of life you know i'm uh, i i should should definitely have recognized that one as well but um i i think space odyssey still is probably its best example because it's a sci-fi film through and through and i think cloud atlas is at its heart a sci-fi fantasy it's it's something that is going to take audiences for a loop and and i don't know i think the biggest hurdle is going to get them is going to be to get them in the seats in the initial, you know, run. I think that, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey was a a box office success. However, it was a box office success in a much different era, where people could see it, and then it was given time to breathe in the cinemas, and eventually, like... More and more people came, so that it it became a success over several weeks. whereas nowadays, if it doesn 't succeed in its first week it 's not a success at all and so i 'm really worried whether a film like this and this is a whole new you know discussion whether or not a film like this can even succeed in today 's climate yeah yeah it
1: 's definitely going to be interesting, and you know that two thousand and one was a success is Surprising, even to me, because having seen it, I sat there i 've sat there many a time saying i don 't understand how this could be such a big box office hit. It seems such like such an uncommercial film
0: It, it was in a very different time and a very different way of production. Um, it was really at the, the the very beginning of the golden era of cinema. You know right before uh Coppola was able to do um the Godfather and and you know the the young Turks of Hollywood were able to come in and take over and 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 make these these big box office breaking films like Jaws and the Godfather and whatnot that are very straightforward simple narratives. Um, before that, people were were being much more exposed to more experimental things. I'd love to see people go back to, to being willing to to try new things with that, but I don't think like we we've, we've just sort of been trained as viewers not to be too edit, experimental in our in what we want to go see. Yes.
1: Uh, okay. Let's let's wrap this up. Uh, oh. and move on to our uh, next segment, Top 5 list. Yes, uh, speaking
0: of uh, dream team-ups of Tom Tickfer and uh, the Wachowski siblings.
1: Yes. Ke- Kevin, you want to start? Uh, you're doing uh, your Top 5 based on actual team-ups that have already happened.
0: Yes, yeah, So so we're going to be doing uh, Top 5 team-ups. I'm going to be doing actual team-ups that have alri- already happened and... Um, you guys are going to be doing, like I did our last show, uh, dream team-ups. Um, so, so for my number five top team-up, um, I'm going to video games. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a huge video game player, but I do enjoy uh, uh, video games to a certain extent. Right now I'm burning through Mass Effect 3 um, after going through that entire saga. Um, but earlier, before that, uh, I did Halo. And in Halo, you control the main character of Master Chief. And I'm not, a, I, I feel like it's almost stereotypical for me to, like, mention this. But I think that, that my number five team-up is has got to be, uh, Master Chief and his AI companion, Cortana. Um, you go with, with this... Duo through the entire series, the entire main series, Halo One, Two, and Three, and it's it's exciting. You, it's one of the few instances where I have a, a companion in a game where, like, I feel like they're they're constantly with me. Like, my character is is interacting with them, and I'm invested in their, you know, relationship. There's a few times where they're are you know split up and I'm I'm on my feet or on my you know the edge of my seat uh uh wondering what's going to happen and and it it really enriches the game um I don't think that the story is is any great shakes it's it's certainly interesting but it's also influenced by many other things but I think that the relationship between Master Chief and his AI Cortana has got to be at least one of the, the the highlights of that series, and so that's my number five.
1: And, and honestly, it's also better than having somebody with you that's like you're you're assigned to protect. Agreed. You know, they're, one of those like, sidekicks that are always they're always a
0: burden, like Ratchet and Clank. Like you have got Ratchet and Clank, which is a great duo, um, but at the same time, like I think that that there's only so much you can do with that, and. It, that that series & clank was it was a lot of fun but like they definitely um realized the the extent of the the gimmick of having the two of them um later on um and then then something like uh, half-life 2 you've got um and that was a, another big consideration for me it was half-life 2 has got you've got Gordon Freeman and he's got his uh um Alex wasn't her name yeah, Alex? Yeah, Alex. Um is like a companion throughout much of the game like much of the series like you've got her in it and it really preceded a lot of other examples like uh the the um what is it sands of time what am i thinking um prince of persia yeah, Prince of Persia. The Prince of Persia reboot that they had, they have a, a duo there as well. And it really precedes that sort of relationship in, in Half-Life 2. And so I guess that would be, you know, a fo- you know, an alternate, um, you know, honorable mention. But I think that not having her present and yet still having her present is, is very effective in, in Half-Life. Or in, in Halo, rather.
2: But I think in, in comparing her to Clank, I think there's a lot of situations where Clank is very
0: functional oh certainly i i think I think it's a totally different thing like you've got different relationships, different gameplay mechanics here, so it's not an apples to apples comparison at all um i'm I'm looking at it from a storytelling perspective, and I think most of my picks here are all from based on storytelling um perspectives you know what what are the best com- uh, partnerships in, in telling great stories. And, and I would say Cortana and Master Chief would be the best example of a video game using a partnership to tell a story for me. Okay, good
1: deal. Uh, Reggie, what's your number five of a dream team-up?
2: My dream team-up? Um, it's It's kind of a moot point because um, both the involved parties have gone completely different directions. Um, but I'm very addicted to Skyrim. I think Skyrim is one of the best video games ever made. And uh, mostly because its world is just so. Um, it, I can't even pronounce the name of the continent. I'm not even going to try. But I mean, it's, it's like this fully realized place, like with all these, you know, different like islands and, you know, there's, um, there, there's all these different towns and, and like every, you know, random cave you stumble into, you know, it turns out that, that, oh, hey, this happens to be the home of a, of a troop of bandits. And, um, there's just so much to do in that world. And it made me think that, of uh, Bethesda, the company that, that, make Skyrim if, if they would um, take that, uh, the aspect of the fully realized huge world and applied it to the Game of Thrones universe. I know that there's a Game of Thrones game, and from what I do know about it, it's apparently horrible. Um, that You don't encounter enough people from the, from the show, from the books, and the people you do apparently aren't the ones that you want to be interacting with. Um, if they had a Skyrim-sized game, you would get missions from everybody, you know? Um, like, you'd go to, uh, like, you'd go to the wall, you know, you'd, you'd be all these different places, talk to, talk to whoever, and, um, I mean, Skyrim has dragons, and coincidentally so does Game of Thrones. Um, it, it, there's already a Spoiler lot of alert. similarities. I'm kidding. I, I didn't even hear, what'd you say? I said spoiler alert. Um I, or if you have common sense, <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I think it's more of a common sense thing. Personally, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Um but anyway, um I just I just really feel like they would go hand in hand. And unfortunately they won't, but but in my dreams, I will I will be playing a Bethesda produced
0: Game of Thrones game.
1: That does sound like it would be awesome.
0: I agree that that does sound pretty great.
1: Uh, Okay. Uh, My top five and my top five dream team ups. Uh, I have almost all Hollywood related stuff except for my number five pick, which is a dream team up between Maynard James Keenan and Trent Reznor. Uh, This was actually supposed to happen uh, about, I want to say it was probably about a decade ago. Close
0: to it, like you and I were in college, um, and I remember when they, when they were talking about doing it. Or, well, no, we weren't in college. We were we were probably I don't know. It was it was about at the beginning of our college years. Yeah, yeah, and they
1: were they were in the studio making music, and they came to the realization that due to their record labels being uncooperative that they would not be able to release any of it so there is actually some songs probably not many but at least a couple songs that Trent Reznor and Maynard James Keenan uh, Maynard James Keenan by the way just for some backstory in case anybody has no idea who that is uh, he is lead singer of Tool he's also he he has his other band called Pussifer and Trent Reznor of Perfect course, Circle. Yes, I I forgot about a Perfect Circle. <laughs> and in fact, uh you know what Maynard did was he re- he re-recorded one of the songs that he did with Trent Reznor with a Perfect Circle so that cuz he thought it was good enough that they should put it out there. Uh but yeah, so Maynard has done all that stuff. Trent Reznor's done Nine Inch Nails. He's got his new band with his wife called How to Destroy Angels. They're supposedly going to have material out before the end of the year. But in the meantime, uh, this whole Maynard uh, thing with, with Trent Reznor has gone by the wayside. It's vanished into thin air. The band was supposed to be called Tapeworm and And uh, it never actually officially happened happened. Not the way that it was supposed to happen. So... I feel like it was a really huge missed opportunity
0: and something that I would like to see actually happen still. Oh, me too. I, two of my favorite artists out there, you know, Trent Reznor has, has I think often been unfairly overlooked. Um, people look at Nine Inch Nails and go, Oh, he's just for angsty, you know, teens or whatnot. But like, that's not all of the music that he does. He also does some really fantastic, beautiful, um, sometimes just straight beautiful, sometimes haunting uh, uh, instrumentals. And he—I he, mean—he's a fantastic artist in general. And um, Maynard James Keenan, I, I, I came to a bit later than some. I was nev- not a huge Tool fan when I was in high school but then I, I found a perfect circle and I became in love with that music and uh, discovered Tool, and, and I, re- I really was a big fan of Tool as well. Um, and, and Pussifer is definitely unique. Um, and, and that's something you can say about Maynard James Keenan, is he's he's a very unique artist. And you take two artists, one who who is a fantastic, just... Creator and one who's just so unique in his um, influences, and you combine the two of them. That I, I too was very disappointed that tape uh, tapeworm never materialized.
1: Yes, and actually, uh, the song "Passive," which can be found on a Perfect Circle's 2004 album "Emotive," that was the tapeworm song that was re-recorded uh, by a Perfect Circle. And there's also, I guess, one other tapeworm song that came out uh, under Maynard's other project, Pussifer, uh, on his C is for Please Insert Sophomoric Genitalia Reference Here record. Uh, the song called Potions was actually one that he wrote with Trent Reznor, but they never, I don't know if they ever recorded it or not, but they a version of it uh, appears on the Pussifer record. So it, it has the the things from those sessions have come out in various ways I guess. Uh okay,
0: Kevin, what's what's your number 4? Okay, so my number 4 um is is actually uh Watchmen featuring um Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. I think that the team up between Dave Gibbons and Alan Watchman or Alan Moore to bring Watchmen about um, was absolutely fantastic. Dave Gibbons was pretty much at the height of his, his power with which with Watchmen. And a lot of people will give a lot of credit to Alan Moore for Watchmen. And, and much of Alan Moore's work, he gets the sole credit. But I think with Watchmen, you got something where it could not be what it is without the artwork. And Gibbons, who came from uh, 2000 AD, you know, before pre Dread um and a, a few other um things he he did some doctor who work uh doctor who comic book work um and then he came in and he did watchmen and gives it such a unique look and and i don't think would have nearly the power without some of his mirrored uh, uh panels some some of the work he does there is just as absolutely um brilliant and and not enough credit is given to him and so i think that the pairing of them to to bring about Watchmen, which is probably my my favorite comic book of all time um i mean yeah it's got it's got to be the two of them
1: okay yeah i i too even though i'm not really a big you know comic person uh I feel like The Watchman is a very good story. I really like it. So, good good choice, Reggie. What's your number 4?
2: Um, well for my number 4, um this one's also video game related. Um I'm a big fan of the Red Dead series. Um there's been uh two entries so far, uh Red Dead Revolver and the most recent one is Red Dead Redemption. Um I I don't know if they're gonna do another game. I don't know if they're gonna do a movie. Um, just because Red Dead Redemption was so I mean there's so much in it. Like you really you really don't need a movie because you have uh, a whole hell of a lot of story narrative just just within the cutscenes and I mean the various missions that you go on. Um, but whatever whatever they do, however they move forward, I think there's one person that they definitely need to collaborate with. Uh, Rockstar Games. And, um, it, it's kind of funny because, uh, he was just on my TV not too long ago, uh, speaking at the Republican National Convention, that would be Mr. Clint Eastwood, I think would add quite a lot to the Red Dead franchise, um, whether it is in a third game or whether it's in a movie. I think, um, I think having someone of his caliber, um, just with everything that he's accomplished in his career, I think that would make... Um, anything Red Dead like ten times more amazing just in my opinion
1: you know I think that if they did another Red Dead and had him do a voice especially like if they were to include his man with no name character that would be pretty great uh, I don't know that he would necessarily do something movie related because A he's pretty much said that he's quit acting with the exception I guess his last Acting role is going to be this upcoming trouble with the curve, uh, but he could hypothetically direct a Red Dead movie. I don't know if that would actually happen though,
2: but it would be awesome if it did, and that's why it's on my list.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed, that's that's the requirement. Yes, uh, my number four pick. Is uh, we we've already talked about Darren Ar- Aronofsky a little bit on this uh, show, and I'll bring him up again. Collaboration between Darren Aronofsky and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, uh, I feel like Philip Seymour Hoffman is an actor's actor. He's he's one of the best actors living today, making films today, and he worked. He's worked with a lot of great directors. Uh, most notably Paul Thomas Anderson you know his work in Magnolia and Boogie Nights and uh Punch-Drunk Love and the upcoming uh The Master are all going to be you know those past roles have been great this upcoming role is going to be great I'm sure uh you know he's worked with let's see so many great directors that being said uh, he has yet to work with Darren Aronofsky, who I think is one of the best directors around these days. And, you know, he's... Aronofsky's been sort of very picky about what projects he takes on, and I think that the addition of Philip Seymour Hoffman to any of his casts would make for a fantastic film, make making already what's probably an already good film even that much better, so... I hope that someday they do choose to collaborate.
0: That would be fantastic. I mean, you see what what happens with uh Philip Seymour Hoffman when he has like an actor's director such as uh uh Paul Thomas Anderson or um gets in, involved with a uh creator like um Kaufman, you know? You you get fantastic unique work from him. And uh Aronofsky, I has has pulled some great performances from people, as as distinct as as Mickey Rourke. I mean, who is not a bad actor by any means, but he's like he he revived his his career, uh, with the wrestler and sort of.
1: Uh, I I mean, we haven't seen him in that much since. I uh, guess it's true. Well, he he briefly. He was Whiplash.
0: Revived, he was Whiplash in Iron Man. So he yeah he was briefly revived there. Now he's who knows what's happening with him now. Um. But yeah, that that would be a fantastic uh, team-up. For my number three, uh, I'm going to go to one of my favorite movies um, because I think that the the team-up between the director and the source material is so perfect that I would love to see this director tackle future work by this uh, writer. Um, And that would be Ridley Scott uh directing Philip K. Dick's uh Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, um in the movie Blade Runner. Uh that's a that's a big mouthful. Um and and Ridley Scott took a movie that or took a book that is, is an absolutely fantastic book and I, I highly recommend you guys check it out if you haven't. Um there's actually a pretty fantastic adaptation into graphic Novel form uh of it that takes a lot from the movie, but Ridley Scott's interpretation of Philip k. dick's world in this is just so perfect that the interpretation of what is what is real, what is subjective, what is real in blade Runner is is great what to be a you know to be a person to be a a man or a human everything about this is is fantastic the style um I would love to see Ridley Scott take on uh, more of Philip K. Dick's work. Um, Philip K. Dick is a very ripe, you know, direct or writer for uh, his, his work. He, he's, you know, just this year we saw total recall, which was uh, a- actually a based on his short story. We can remember for you wholesale. Um, and then he's he's also done uh Screamers which is a pretty pretty good underseen film from uh the 90s that started the original RoboCop Peter Weller um he he wrote the original short story the Minority Report um that is another fantastic adaptation but it it does change a lot and it it adds a bit um it it's a pretty loyal um adaptation of 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 Philip K. Dick's work, um, but I I personally am a fan of Ridley Scott to the point where I'd love to see him take on something like uh, *Ubik* or *Valis*, which is you know let's let's do a, a callback to uh, our, our show last time um, we reviewed *Block Party* is four, and on that they have a song called *Valis*, which is a reference to philip k dick's book um but yeah i would love to see him tackle there's plenty more philip k dick works out there and um what they did with with uh, uh blade runner is just fantastic and one of the best movies of all time
1: how do you feel about uh talking about blade runner 2
0: i i will see it i i saw prometheus the day it came out um I will see Blade Runner two the day it comes out. I, I I'm not I'm not for sure that it will be great by any means. You know, Ridley Scott has certainly lost some luster in his later years. I think, um, but I still think he's got it in him to do something great. And in fact, Ridley Scott's son just directed something, a short that was based on, based heavily on Blade Runner and can be almost seen as like a a side quilt to it. All
1: right, cool. Uh, Reggie, what's your number three? Uh, For my number three,
2: um, uh, I really like the character of Luke Cage, who was Power Man uh, back in the seventies. He's been depicted. He's on like ultimate Spider-Man, but you know, everybody's like 13 on that show so I don't, you know, (laughs) I don't really count that, um, but, uh, he, he's never been depicted, I guess, I guess on TV or in movies, and I think he should, because I think he's a fantastic character, um, he, he's still around today, um, right around the time of, uh, Secret Invasion, he was, he was, uh, pretty much had a leadership role in the new Avengers. And I always thought that I, they were talking about uh, single John Singleton was talking about maybe making a Luke Cage movie, but with Tyrese Tyrese Gibson um, playing Luke Cage and he has the bald head, but that's about it. Um, Luke Cage is, you know, he was around in the seventies. So he's kind of like an OG type character and I feel like the perfect person to play Luke Cage would be Ving Rams. Um uh, you know, couple couple movies come to mind, uh, like like Baby Boy's character and baby boy's character and Dawn of the Dead. I think <laughs> I think if you combine those two right there, you get Luke Cage. Uh just minus the superpowers. And would... um I think that would be fantastic.
0: Now now Luke Cage is a, a younger character, um, and Ving Rhames is actually getting up there in years. Um,
2: no, Luke Cage. Luke Cage was around in the seventies. He, he was in Heroes for Hire with uh, with Iron
0: Fist. That's true, but he's he's usually portrayed as like a younger guy, isn't he?
2: But I don't I don't want a young Luke Cage. I want like the OG Luke Cage. Okay. Because, no, no, like, that, that's, that's really that's the one who was. You know, he, he's the guy who's still around
0: right now. I I would love to see that as well. That actually sounds pretty fantastic.
1: Besides, it's a dream, man. It can be whatever age he wants it to be.
2: Just not Zombie Luke Cage. Because I don't, you know what? I don't think a zombie would be able to penetrate his skin, so I don't think he'd ever get infected.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my number three pick is an interesting, it would be a fascinating collaboration. I don't even know how they would exactly work it, if they were to ever work it. Uh, But it would be a collaboration between David Lynch and Terry Gilliam. uh, Two great directors, and David Lynch is kind of sort of off doing his own thing right now. He's gone on record pretty much as saying, I have no interest in directing films at the moment. Uh, But his last film was Inland Empire, which if anybody saw it, it's a little bit of a head trip, but then again,
0: <laughs> Very true. much
1: all, all of his films are head trips. Um, and Terry Gilliam, I think, is just an extremely inventive director, and the way that he's able to visualize so many abstract concepts is fascinating to me. And I think that just sort of the weirdness of David Lynch and the weirdness of Terry Gilliam mashed together would turn out something absolutely brilliantly twisted and I would be very interested to see what that might be but I you know given that this is a dream in an ideal world it would happen but I don't think it's ever going to
0: yeah that would be fantastic I both of these directors, David Lynch has found his niche. Terry Gilliam, not so much. Um, I feel like Terry Gilliam is is a sort of director who has a huge following, but is often never produces he, he never produces the work that his fans think that he 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 does. Um, at least not at the time. A lot of his work is maligned at the time of its release, and then it gathers a following later on. Um, A lot of his stuff just comes out and it kind of goes nowhere. Um, He's one of...
1: Kevin, did you see the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus? I
0: will admit I did not.
1: Is it because you have... uh, you, You feel like Terry Gilliam's not meeting his potential?
0: That one, I... I'll be honest, I was kind of... I mean, Heath Ledger had just passed away when when that movie came out and it was a big part of its its production was going around with uh, uh different actors in the same role transforming throughout the film um i was kind of put off by that it's definitely a film that I've i've always wanted to see especially considering tom waits is in it i mean andrew garfield is in it who you know spider-man so yeah but yeah, I mean it's it's not a movie that I've I've avoided for any real reason except for at the very start of its release. Um but it's certainly one that I I need to re- return to.
1: Okay, uh are are you done with your point on Terry Gilliam yes. or uh okay. Uh what what's your number uh two pick?
0: Okay, so my number two pick um and it's it's going to probably show my hand a little bit too much here, you know, from prior conversations that we had earlier um, in this list, uh, Trent Reznor and David Bowie, uh, they first got together with I believe Reznor did a remix of um, I'm Afraid of Americans. Um, David Bowie really enjoyed what he did with it. And from there, they they did a tour. Uh, I believe it's the Scary Monsters tour. I believe they did. Um, so there's really some fantastic collaboration there. Uh, unfortunately, I, there's there's not really any official stuff that's out there that um, other than uh, David Bowie and Trent Reznor's official "I'm Afraid of America's uh, Americans" um, song but there's some some bootlegs out there that are absolutely fantastic um and the live stuff is is great um i'd love to see them do something in the studio together um but what they've done already is is pretty fantastic and i yeah so so David Bowie and Trent Reznor
1: well, you know that uh, David Bowie is essentially retired, right? I, I do know
0: this. I do, um, and that's that's part of why like I'm I'm happy with what they've done. I I can't really see them doing anything in in the future. S- same with Trent Reznor. Like he he's not retired, but he's doing something different. He's not really doing uh, Nine Inch Nails anymore. He's doing How to Destroy Angels. He's doing his film scoring. Um, you know they're both in in new phases of their career um but i do love i'm afraid of americans so
1: yes and i would like to say it's one of the great tragedies of my life that i never got to see david bowie perform anything
0: yeah live i i will agree with you there
1: uh reggie what's your number 2
0: um
2: my number 2 is uh directly in the wake of the whole michael bay Ninja Turtles fiasco, um, because Michael Bay, of course, proposed to uh, make them aliens, which would kind of bastardize the whole teenage mutant part of, uh, of of who they are. But anyway, I thought, well, who would make a decent Ninja Turtles movie that sticks to the source material, and not only that, would be amazing to watch. It's kind of funny because you know we talked about Cloud Atlas, and I thought that the Wachowskis would make a kick-ass Ninja Turtles movie.
0: Oh, <laughs> especially looking at their their, you know, I've already professed my love for uh, Speed Racer. I I think you, you you've hit on something really, really good here. Like they they know how to portray Goofy and action and you know translate cartoon um they did produce uh v for vendetta which is another graphic novel adaptation yeah i'm I'm right there with you
1: yeah i i agree as well i think that would be fantastic uh team up where they go for that but i Unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen, but that's why it's a dream. Yeah, exactly. Uh, My number two pick is A Confederacy of Dunces and A Studio Willing to Finance It. (laughs) Uh, So it would be a dream if that film were to finally get made. Uh, It's a A Confederacy of Dunces, if you are not aware. It's a book By John Kennedy Toole. It was first published in 1980. He had actually been dead for over 11 years. Uh, He committed suicide. However, uh, it did win the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction back in 1981. It's been considered a cult classic uh, book. And also one of the funniest books ever written. And it has been attempted to be made into a film about a half dozen times already. And it just, every single time it tries to get made, something goes wrong, and it just doesn't happen. 1982, Harold Ramis tried to make the movie with John Belushi and Richard Pryor, which would have been amazing, but uh, John Belushi died. So uh, then, then, of course, later... They were talking about uh either John Candy or Chris Farley doing the lead role. Uh but uh they both died. <laughs> so and then John Waters tried to make some weird adaptation of it starring Divine, and then Divine died.
2: Man, that's like a that's like a actual curse that's like floating over Confederacy of there, Dunces.
1: They're, they're suggesting that maybe the film is a film version is cursed. Uh, well, but even but,
2: the, I mean, cause the, cause the author killed himself, you know? So maybe, maybe that started it.
1: Yeah, really? That's a good point. Uh, you know, that, that there've been a, other attempts to try between, uh, you know, Steven Soderbergh and David Gordon Green trying to do something in 2005, Uh, starring Will Ferrell, Uh, that was even supposed to go forward and they had a bunch of different people cast in various different roles including Paul Rudd and Most Def and Lily Tomlin. Uh, However, funding dropped out uh, for many reasons. Paramount was supposed to make it and Hurricane Katrina happened uh, when they were supposed to start filming back in 2005. So, Basically, this film has not gotten made, and they keep trying, and they keep failing. So it would be amazing if they could finally get it done and bring to life what could be one of the funniest books ever. Though the question of or not, of whether or not it would be successfully adapted would be up in the air until it actually came out. Hello, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: Yeah. I I'm a I'm a huge fan of that book. Um I actually read it right after I got out of college. Um somehow missing it throughout uh high school and college and it is one of the great tragedies of cinema that this movie has never been made. Um there've been so many great potential starts to it. And and I'm not sure why they've just never been able to pull it off, but yeah, it's fantastic stuff.
1: Kevin, what's your number one?
0: Okay, so I've got a I've got a tie here. Um I cheated a little bit. But uh it it it's a it's two actor director duos. Um The first one is Jimmy Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock and the other one is John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Um this this are th- these are two like opposite end of the spectrums as far as movies go. Like Hitchcock and Jimmy Stewart made pretty classy movies. Um he did Rear Window and Vertigo, two of Hitchcock's best films, probably only rivaled by North by Northwest um in his canon. Um Psycho. Psycho perhaps. I I think Psycho is is a great film but a little bit uh too pulpy for it to be a really I don't, I don't know. I like Psycho, but the ending kind of knocks it down a little bit of a, a notch for me. Um and I mean the very ending where the the psychologist comes on and explains it away and it's like, yeah, I didn't need that. Um it always pisses me off. But Vertigo I think is is damn near the most perfect film that you could possibly come up with um rear window is is not too far off either um and then you've got a movie like the man who knew too much and rope man who knew too much is definitely you know the one of the ultimate you know uh examples of hitchcock's uh the wrong man storyline. You know, you got North by Northwest, you got Cary Grant doing the whole thing throughout it, and he's sort of mugging through the entire thing, and it's it's total fun. Like, I love North by Northwest, and it's probably um, in my top ten favorite films of all time. Um, but then you got Jimmy Stewart, who is a little cheesy, but he's not, he, he's a little bit more innocent. He doesn't have the, the sort of cocky attitude and nature of uh, of, of carry your and so you got vertigo which is brilliant because of his vulnerability you you've never seen at this point in cinema a a major a- actor portray himself so vulnerable in in a film um or the director the director hitchcock really lays it all out on the line all of his psychoses are right there in in vertigo and it's it's absolutely brilliant and rope is also brilliant. I mean, it's not one of, of Hitchcock's best films, but it is brilliant for the way that it pioneers the um, single-shot uh, uh, efforts, where they they try to um, do much of the film with a single shot, but it's, it's really broken up to se- into several reels, of course, because it's just physically impossible at the time to, like, film an entire film with with a single shot like that. Um and then you got John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Uh they actually started in a movie about Elvis um a, a TV movie uh back in the 70s and um it actually won a uh Russell or a nomination for the uh, Emmy award and then from there he did escape from new york and escape from la the thing um big trouble in little china i mean it's it's brilliant like uh, the thing being one of the great horror movies of our time that that was dramatically under under appreciated when it came out um and then you got big trouble in little china which is just cheesy fun and certainly not Not a movie that is anybody's idea of like a great movie, but it's also a great movie in of what it is and Escape from New York is like the penultimate or not the penultimate but like the personification of the, the action film and like it's it's an American action film to the nth degree and it's it's great and so yeah the t- the two of these guys the the two of these pairings have have totally changed the face of of film with their works and uh both both in different ways of course but yeah those are those are my two choices uh john carpenter and kurt russell and alfred hitchcock and jimmy stewart
1: no 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 those are some good choices
0: (laughs) well done well done (laughs) If if done. if, if you could do if you could do it in his uh uh droopy dog uh voice from American ta- uh an American tale Feeble goes west um i'd be very oh. impressed <laughs> be much more no uh emphysema uh influenced yes
1: reggie how about your number 1
2: um i i had an idea a while back of just just off the wall collaborations like musically and um are are you guys familiar with Kathleen Hanna
1: I am.
0: I, I'm not. Who is that?
2: She um she was in Bikini Kill, but okay. um she's the uh well uh I guess more recently, um she's in La Tigre.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I'm familiar with both those bands. I just guess was not familiar with her as a personality.
2: And um like well I both Bikini Kill and Le Tigre. I mean, I, I really like Le Tigre, but, you know, Bikini Kill is more, like, revered, more classic. Um, and I I always liked her... Her her style is very, like, staccato, and, and I, I think that she's... She could, like, almost do, like, a Debbie Harry, like, rap, you know? Um, on the right track, per se. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd be able to pull it off. And I was thinking, well, like who, who would be like a crazy just Kathleen Hanna and blah blah blah, and then out of nowhere in my mind, kill a Mike. I think that Kathleen Hanna and Kill a Mike would would destroy on a song together.
1: That would be fascinating.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm really um intrigued by this.
2: I mean, it, it makes me sad. I don't even know if the two of them are aware of each other's existence, but, but w- maybe, maybe one day, I think the two, I mean, just because Killamike's style, I mean, it doesn't necessarily complement like her staccato, but I, I kind of feel like Killamike can make anybody look good. I mean, it, he he did a lot of stuff with Outcast, who I believe they're already amazing in their own right. But I kind of felt like having him. Uh, anytime he he added a verse, it was kind of like the icing on the cake. It was kind of like, oh, okay, this song was awesome. Now it's amazing, you know. And I totally. just, I, yeah.
0: I mean, Stankonia is is one of Outcast's biggest releases. You've got a, uh, uh, they also. We're in Idlewild. Both of those feature Killer Mike. Um, Killer Mike, excuse me. I'm not able to pronounce his his name properly. I don't think. Um, but yeah, no. He, Actually, he definitely...
2: it is Killer Mike. I was just saying Killer Mike. <laughs> uh, well, okay.
0: Well, you, I, I, I was, I was thrown there because I, I only read these things. I don't, I don't ever have conversations about that. So, um, I, I thank you, thank you for. Having this conversation with me, um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, I, I agree. Like that, that would be really fascinating to have the the two of them together. And yeah, that brilliant. Yeah, definitely,
1: definitely interesting stuff. Uh, my number one pick is Joss Whedon and HBO. Simply put, uh, I believe that Joss Whedon has made some excellent television. Before he made The Avengers, uh, he's done some excellent work in television. That that includes Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly. I guess you could say Angel 2. Uh, Dollhouse, uh, which he made a few years ago, was also excellent. And the thing about it is all those shows, say for maybe Buffy, all those shows have essentially been cancelled for one reason or another, usually because they're not doing that well in audience size. And I think that Joss Whedon comes up with some incredible storylines and some incredible characters, and it's all serialized television. It's not episodic where you've got, you know, a certain thing happening in an episode, and then you can skip a few episodes and come right back in and not need to know any information. You need to watch every episode in order to understand exactly what's happening with these characters and the development that goes on. And so because Joss Whedon does such a great job telling a narrative story and because he creates such vivid characters, I think that a cable network specifically like an HBO, I, I said HBO, but really it could be Showtime. It could be AMC for all I care uh but a network that actually believes in him that will give him the ability to do what he needs to do get out of his way and let him produce some excellent television and not have to worry as much about the ratings where you know instead of you know being worried that 15 million people are are going to watch your show you know go to a cable network where you know A million viewers is a good number and put one of his shows on one of those channels and see how it does and i think that when he's sort of put into that sort of environment into one where a channel is supportive of what he does i think it could make for one of the best television series ever created so that's my piece and that's that's why i feel it would be one of the most uh one of the most and best collaborations that could happen. Uh, and who knows that one actually might happen somewhere down the line.
2: I think it'd be interesting too, just because he'd be able to turn, like turn up the, the tone of whatever he's working on. If it was on HBO, it wouldn't have to be so, um, so pristine or saccharine per se. And I'd, I'd like to see Whedon do something a lot grittier
1: yeah yeah grittier and you know a little
0: heavier language, a little more violence that sort of stuff i I wonder if that would really be appropriate for him like he he's a fantastic writer um but his his work has often been even when he's given free reign, like you look at something where he's been giving free reign such as uh dr horrible's um Sing along blog. Sing along blog, you know. Yeah, I mean something like that, like he's never been interested in, in that super grittiness that um, I think a lot of people would subscribe to HBO um for, for, for their shows. Um,
1: well, hold on. Do you think that, you know, like HBO has the newsroom? Aaron Sorkin, do you think Sorkin makes shows like that?
0: I, I don't and 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 that that's the thing. Like I I, I agree with you. Um, it, it it would certainly be interesting. I'm not sure. Like I'm I'm certainly excited about his his shield uh, TV show that's coming out. They they've just announced. Um, hopefully it it gets picked up. I know they're doing a pilot. I'm not sure if the the entire show has actually been picked up yet.
2: I think they'd be stupid to not
0: pick it up. I agree. Yeah. I I think they're probably like. Uh, yes you, you could you could do a, a TV show based on your your super successful billion dollar winning movie that you just made for us yeah yeah sure you can do that um, but yeah no I, I I think it would be interesting to see him do something for for HBO I mean he is he is such a, you know the consummate TV writer you know he, he's done Angel and Buffy and uh, the dollhouse. I'd love to see him do something with a little bit more budget for a television show, um, and maybe he'll get that with Shield. I'm not certain that's what he's going to get, um, and I think HBO may be able to give him a little bit more and give a little bit more free reign, because um, he's he's such a huge thinker. Like even even some of his earlier works, such as uh, I mean, he did the story for uh, 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 Titan AE way back in the day, and I I actually. Hold that film. It's not a very good movie, but um, I enjoyed it for what it was. And uh,
2: I like that yeah. one a lot, actually.
1: I, yeah, I know. I one. like it a lot,
0: but it, it was it was a bomb, and it was not critically acclaimed by many people. And it actually uh, killed the animation. Uh, was, that that, was that Fox? Was that
2: yeah? With Blue, that was Blue's
0: uh, Animation yeah. Studio. Yeah, it killed it. No, yeah, I mean, and he actually started out, he did the uh, screenplay, or, or a story treatment for Toy Story, um, I don't, I don't even know if he's credited for it, but, uh... Yeah, he is. Is he? Okay, um, I, I, I didn't know if, if he was or not, I just... Well,
2: but, but the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer was, was, was years before Toy oh, Story. Oh, it,
0: it, was, so, like, he's, he's been toiling around, um, behind the scenes forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. After 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 the Avengers, I, I will say yes. Yes. Give me an HBO show by by Josh Josh
1: Okay. Uh that wraps up today's show. Alright. Uh this week's show I should say. Uh we'll be back next week with plenty more show, lots more entertaining tidbits and you know, talking about music, talking about top five lists, talking about whatever. Uh, so, uh, any closing remarks, you guys?
0: Nope, I think that does it.
1: Nothing from me. Have a good week, everybody.
2: Enjoy your burrito! I I totally made that one up myself. I'm glad you guys enjoy it.